Welcome back everybody to the reading of Supernatural Academy by Maria Grant. I will be starting with chapter 12 today. If you have not listened to chapters 1 through 11, please, please go back and listen to chapters 1 through 11. Um, so that you can be caught up with everything. I'm also on Spotify. Um, if you want to check out the Spotify, the name is the same as whatever platform you use. I'm not sure which platforms, um, everyone's listening on. Um, but I'm on various different platforms, same name. So please check out chapters 1 through 11 before you start with chapter 12 just so you don't get confused um again this story is really picking up so a lot of stuff is really happening and i'm excited so chapter 12 is called information kaya hugs her knees as she sits under the large oak tree in the backyard of her new home she rests the back of her head against the chipped bark, not caring about her hair getting stuck and tangled. Right now, her eyes are closed as she lifts her head up and absorbs some of the sunlight descending upon her face. It's been a rough few weeks, that's for sure. Her mind is in a constant state of bewilderment and she can't seem to keep up with the speed of it all. It feels like someone has pressed the fast-forward button on her life without her permission. Feels like some cosmic god is sitting around just toying with her. Her father still hasn't shown back up since the last random warning he gave. Mrs. Murray's coven is gearing up for a fight. Declan's father is gathering hunters again. Chase's werewolf pack is out for blood. The vampires are on edge since a popular vampire named Yasmin went missing. And to top it all off, Kaya is still destined to die. Death. How can a five-letter word hold so much weight and pain? How can such a small word possess that much power be so final? There's no coming back from death. Once it happens, it cannot be reversed. What is Kaya to do in the afterlife? Hang around like her father, hoping someone can see her? Is she going to simply disappear with no more conscious thought? God, what about her mother? Mrs. Cotel has already lost her husband and has been thrown into this phantom world. It's hardly fair for her to lose her only child as well. Not like Kaya thinks that Kaya deserves an untimely death or anything, but she's just beginning her life story. For it to end so abruptly, she can't even process it. She's barely getting started. She's just now understanding who she truly is. Kaya, she opens her left eye and sees Reed approaching with hunched shoulders, as his hands linger in his front pockets, he looks uncertain as he comes to a halt right in front of her feet. Can I sit? His question has a hint of hesitance in it. She opens her other eye and nods once. Of course! She hurries to acknowledge his request. Reed matches her pose as he hugs his long legs to his muscular chest. 
so close his left eye is touching her own. You know, I was seven when I first learned how to swim. Ray begins to tell a story. Kaya doesn't make eye contact, but she's listening. My dad was growing tired of me, not learning as quick as Anders. So he just threw me into the deep end of the private pool. Kaya tries not to scoff at the private pool and instead focus on how cruel Mr. Pool really is. I was drowning, panicking, you name it. Ray snorts at the memory. Water was filling my lungs and I couldn't think properly enough to control the water flow. So I closed my eyes and allowed the water to take over me. My ears began to pop, my nose started burning from the chlorine, and my body felt so heavy. Kaya reaches and grabs my hand to hold, squeezing tightly. I just gave up and let the water take over. Ray shakes his head. I was dying, and I was oddly okay with it. At the same time, I felt like a disappointment to my parents for being born a magical, and I couldn't compete with Anders. I was just sad. I thought life was giving me an out, and I wanted to grasp a hold of it. Read. Kaya gasped. The thing I know, Anders is flying into the pool. My mom is shouting at my dad. <laughs> Ray laughs. I blacked out for a while, but when I came through, Anders was sitting on my bed, holding my hand, and he had a scowl on his face. He told me I was going to learn how to swim properly, and I will never panic again because I can control all forms of elements. He told me my life mattered as long as I have breath in my lungs and to never forget it. He was right. Kaya cries out. Yeah, he was. Ray takes her joined hands and swings him a bit. My motto from then on was to never give up. I'm telling you this story because I want you to know that I'm not going to give up. Ray looks determined. I understand you might be angry. Scared of the situation, Reed continues. But I want you to know that as long as I have breath in my body, I will not give up. I won't give up on you. Neither will Anders or Yates or Devlin or Malcolm or Sophie. We have your back, and we will try as hard as we can to protect you from this, whatever this is. So don't feel like you're in this alone, Reed. Kaya grabs onto his hand harder as tears finally stain her cheeks. He leans over and pulls her to his chest. She hasn't really been able to process the news and doesn't know how to feel. I'm so scared. She cries out as the tears flood harder. I don't want to die. She admits as the tears shred down her cheeks and the last bit of strong will she has breaks. I know you don't. Marie lets her know that he's seen right through the facade. I won't let you. He promises. And she clings onto his determination like a prayer. Marie remains determined to keep his promise. So he goes for a drive and arrives at a familiar house. 
Reed opens the door to the old house three miles outside of town. His uncle greets him with a one-sided hug as his large palm slaps the teen on the back a few times when greeting. Reed's uncle is a large man, both in height and size. He stands at 6'5", with a round stomach and muscular thick arms. He has shoulder-length brown hair and a thick brown beard with forest green eyes. Hey, kid! Charlie greets in his deep voice. Reed rolls his eyes at the nickname. He hasn't been a kid for some time now. I'm not a kid anymore, Uncle Charlie, Reed says instead of a greeting. He passes a man and heads for the living room to the left. Reed jolts forward when a palm pushes him slightly. You're still wet behind their ears, the man responds with a glint in his eyes. You'll always be the kid to me. Reed gives a half smile and doesn't bother with responding any further because it's futile. He and his uncle have been going back and forth with this whole kid thing ever since Reed and his uncle became close. How have you been then, Unc? Reed questions as he takes a seat on the couch. He can't just randomly ask for a book. Charlie would be far too suspicious. Keeping my nose clean, that's for sure. Charlie taps on his nose and Reed gives a gentle, genuine smile in return. You're too much of a detective for that, Reed counters. Charlie shrugs and waves off the comment. I'm a private investigator, I'll have you know. Charlie pretends to be offended, way more classy than being a bitchy-ass detective. You're only bitter because you've been arrested several times for stalking, Reed reminds the man. Stalking? Charlie's voice rises. I get paid to find people in compromising positions. It's part of the job to follow the perp around. Right. Read that pen. It's called stalking unless the person is aware they are being followed. Did you come here to insult my profession? Charlie reads the rail. Nope. I like to do that for free. Reed smiles. Ah, Anders. Charlie nods. Should have known I got the two of you mixed up. Reed laughs and reaches over to hit his uncle in the leg. You know I'm Reed. Charlie still seems dubious. To prove I'm Reed, I know you have a questionable mark on the inner side of your right thigh. You say it's a mole, but really, Reed's mouth is frozen shut. Reed smiles behind the sail and does a mental melting spell to turn the ice into liquid. Little shit. Charlie grumbles at the magic. You're going to get in trouble one of these days for all that power. That day isn't today. Reed responds in kind. Alright, what do you really want? Now is Reed's turn, I meant, while he's really here. I'm looking for a book. Reed decides to steer the topic to a different direction. Charlie, who has sat down in the tan recliner, kicks his feet up as he reaches for his canned beer, currently sitting in the drink holster in the chair. Kid, I have over 500 books in this house, Charlie complains behind his sips. You need to narrow it down a bit. Reed scrunches up his face and heads to the living room that connects to the dining room that has been turned into a library. There are ten tan built-in shelves in that room, holding about 60 books each. I need your druid spell book. Reed admits absentmindedly. The next thing the team knows, a chill has filled the room, and Charlie's growling lowly in his breath. There's absolutely no reason for you to need that book. Charlie glowers as his voice drops an octave. 
where he falls back and allows his eyes to trace over all the books in a quick fashion. He spots the one he needs and quickly tries to remember the title. Don't act so concerned, uncle, where he tries to defuse the situation. You're the one keeping a druid book in the house because I'm hiding it for a friend, the man defends quickly, where he rolls his eyes and hugs. His uncle is far too overprotective, always trying to keep reading and critical. Charlie is a scary man because of his size, but more than that, he's a scary man because of his history. The reason why he was exiled from the Poole family to begin with. See, Charlie and Rob, a.k.a. Bobby, who was Reed and Anders' father, are twins. Around 14 is when Charlie started showing signs of being a magical. Their mother hated him for it, disgraced his name, and called him evil and wicked. Meanwhile, their father gave silent support in the background, not really believing that magicals were the product of Satan. Reaching college years, though, Rob grew more distant, blamed their parents' divorce on Charlie, and became hostile towards the idea of magicals. Third year of college is when Rob joined some hunters, which is how he met Mr. Patel, causing further separation between the brothers. It all came to a head when they were in their last year of college. Rob's hunter group went to test Rob, see if he could actually kill his brother. Rob wanted to please them, wanted to belong, so he agreed. You see, the thing is, Rob was always a favorite of their mother because Rob was normal, human, like the mother. Rob's father never really cared for Rob because he never understood why Rob could hate his twin brother so much for being a magical. Rob's father never cared about that. He just loved Charlie because Charlie was his son. It made Rob angry. So he would do anything to prove to these hunters that he did not care for his brother's life. Charlie had agreed to meet Rob at the log cabin just outside of town. Upon creating each other, Rob pulled out a gun and pulled the trigger. No hesitance. Charlie was quick. He used his freezing ability to create a shield in front of him to block the impact of the bullet. Rob grew nervous, determined, and a bit frantic. He pulled the trigger again only to have the gun frozen. A few hunters came out of hiding. Alarmed, Charlie claims he blacked out, went into this haze kind of rage where he killed all the hunters by coating their bodies in ice shells. Actually, he froze all the water inside of them. They were frozen from the inside out. Charlie didn't manage to leave Rob alive. So now Rob lives with this ever festering resentment, knowing he failed to kill his brother, the one person he has vowed he will always hate the most in this world. It was also the catalyst that convinced Mama Poole to disown Charlie, who decided to take the last name of Smith. Growing up, 
Rita's always heard horror stories about their monster of an uncle who is one of the main reasons why, which is one of the main reasons why Mr. Poole has hated Anders and Rita presenting as magicals. The young twins never listen to the lies of their father and instead sought out their distant uncle. Boy, stop blinking out on me. Reed blinks as the deep voice brings him back to the present. I'm not letting you get involved with any druids. I'm strong enough to handle myself, Reed pouts. Besides, I need the book for research. Do you enjoy lying to me? Charlie shakes his head in disappointment. The truth is, Reed hates lying. It's not in his DNA. Yet he can't admit what he's going to do. If he does, then Charlie will surely stop him. Reed can't afford to let that happen. We think the druids might be surfing, surfing. And I wanted to know as much about them and their spells as possible. Reed goes for half-truth. You know me. I'm all about the research. Charlie stares at them with a calculating expression before snorting and going back to his chair. If you want to play with dark magic, you won't get any help from me, kid. Charlie takes another sip of his beer. I'm old enough to know a half-truth when I hear one. Reed's mouth drops open in shock before sticking his hand in his front pockets. This is a telltale sign that he's getting nervous. Charlie picks up on it and shakes his head once more. Please, uncle. Reed tries to use his innocent voice. I can say no in ten different languages. Charlie stares at him in response. Want me to start with German? Reed rolls his eyes and heads for the front door. He hates that his uncle is a P.I. because a man can always call his bluff. I know the way out, Reed says with a disappointed huff. He's memorized the title of the book, so now it's just a race against time to find it another way. Reed is a master of research for a reason. He always finds what he's looking for.